doesn't have volume against it, the blanket's a useless document. You can't take it to your bank. You have no guarantees. Do you really want to plan against it? So, you know, suppliers want POs with quantities and commitments, and that's what they need to operate. The blankets don't give you the control internally that you really need from a purchase order. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Elevate IQ. When it comes to blanket orders, the business community has mixed feelings about whether they add real value to the business, but their implementation could be all over the place as well. The legacy systems that didn't support the blanket order functionality natively had to come up with creative ways to handling them. These creative ways might include canceling the lines and adding new ones as the quantity gets released. Or they could be as dramatic as creating a completely new order. Irrespective of whether you like it or not, you will end up dealing with blanket orders as they might be driven by factors such as commodity pricing or securing critical components needed for your supply chain. So where do blanket orders make the most sense. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss the pros and cons of blanket orders, business processes, best practices. We covered many grounds, including the difference between contracts, regular orders, and blanket orders, and whether the blanket POs should be used. Finally, we discussed several other concepts related to blanket POs, such as blanket orders for commoditized products, such as MRO, inventory, and for the critical items, and for the items where price fluctuates significantly. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series, for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to this transformation, and we always have an expert panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we have a very interesting topic, probably a little controversial as well, and we are going to have a lot of fun with it. It's called uh, blanket orders. So we are going to touch the topic from many different perspectives, and we have a variety of expertise in the panel. I've been in the ERP and digital transformation space for roughly 20 years, and blanket orders has always fun to implement. Uh, Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital uh, transformation consulting firm. We help companies with the ERP selection, uh, implementation, etc. On that note, I am going to move to Abu for his intro. Thanks, Sam. Hi, everyone. Uh, pleasure to be here. My name is Abu. I'm the founder at Panny. So I've been helping companies uh, improve their supply chain, manufacturing, and distribution processes for the last 12 years. Um, we're also a Sage X3 reseller, which is one of the leading solutions uh, in the food vertical and the distribution vertical uh, in manufacturing. Thank you so much for being here, Abu. Uh, Dave, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yep, appreciate um, being on the show today, Sam. Uh, my name is David Dozer. I'm the president at Blaze IT. We're a um, solution provider um, specializing in cloud ERP solutions for mid-size manufacturing and, and distribution companies. Um, seen a lot of different flavors of um, purchasing over the years and, and blanket purchasing, so I think it'll be a great discussion today. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Brent, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. So Brent Paracopi. Uh, I've been a procurement leader and, and consultant for about 25 years now, worked across a wide uh, swath of industries, everything from retail to food manufacturing, a little bit of e-commerce and energy on the side. I've really built and transformed uh, a number of procurement teams 
worked in direct procurement, indirect procurement, the, the centers, the center of excellence or, or the operations center, uh, and really kind of have a pretty broad perspective on procurement across a number of industries. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Brent. Uh, Michelle, joining for the first time, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Michelle Thompson, and I've held a variety of roles in sourcing, procurement, procurement operations, supplier diversity, and I've done several uh, procure-to-pay implementations. Um, most recently, I was at the London Stock Exchange, and I've been at a variety of um, information technology companies and um, financial services companies. Thank you. Okay, amazing. And Chris, can I ask you to introduce yourself uh, next minute in time? Hi, this is Chris Garadini, president and owner of Turnkey Technologies. We've been implementing Microsoft Dynamics ERP solutions for the past 30 years. Glad to be here, Sam. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Chris. And if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys uh, post your questions and comments. Uh, we typically try to cover it during the show. Uh, if we cannot get to them because of time, then our panelists are going to make sure that you guys are going to get your questions answered. On that note, I am going to start with the first question with Abu. Uh, and the first question is going to be, okay, when we think of the blanket orders, uh, sometimes it could be very confusing when you look at the blanket orders. Uh, you know, I personally have always been confused that, okay, you have three different documents or the entities in the system. They have a little difference, a little differences in terms of how they work. Sometimes people get confused as well. So one is going to be your contract. Then you have the order itself, the order document, and then you have the blanket order. So do you want to touch on the difference in terms of what are going to be the differences in the three and what blanket order really is? Sure. I mean, so I'll start off with the purchase order. That's probably the, you know, the most widely used uh, you know, document, uh, the easiest used one to use and understand. So purchase order is you want to buy something. It's at most one or two times. You know, you have specified delivery dates. That's when, you know, you're going to issue a purchase order. A uh, blanket order would be when you have a recurring, you're going to buy the same thing recurring over the next few months. So some companies even do it for the next one year even, you know, it really depends on the company. But you know what you're buying, you know you're going to buy it every two months, you know what the quantity you're buying. Um, that's when you're going to be using an open PO or a blanket order. A, a contract, like a contract purchase order is, you know, basically establishes your contract terms. You know, you have established a contract with your buyer and then you are going to order when you need it or based on your own needs. You know, you may have a three-year contract, but you have not specified any delivery dates specifically. So you're going to order something, you know, when you're ready to order. And then the supplier is going to provide that goods or services based on those contractual. Okay, amazing insights there. Do you have any specific examples or these stories in the industries where you have seen the application of blanket order by any chance that you might be able to share? A blanket order, mostly, you know, yeah, I was a supplier. I mean, it's sort of used interchangeably. Very few companies, you know, properly, especially in the mid-size sector, that's properly set up a contract order and a blanket order. I mean, they tend to use it interchangeably. But, you know, if I need a certain kind of raw material from a supplier, you know, I'm in the food industry, I need a bag of nuts delivered every two months. I know the quantity. So that would be a classic case of a blanket order. Uh, a contract would be, you know, I want to enter into a long-term agreement. You know, I want, you know, I want lead time of four months. I want I have a negotiated price of $15 a kilo, for example, but I'm going to order it when I actually need it, right? So the supplier is, you know, I'm going to actually request a supplier. A blanket PO would be, you know, supplier generally tend to know when they have to. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those insights. So Dave, I'm actually going to come to you and, uh, you know, I am looking for, I don't know if you have anything to add there. Uh, overall, in terms of the differences between your contract versus the uh, order uh, versus the, the blanket order. And then if you have any stories, I don't know if you are going to have any insights related to injection molding. I mean, that will be very interesting to hear as well. Yeah, per perfect, Sam. And, and to kind of expand on that a, a little bit, I, I do think uh, a lot of times in kind of the small, mid-sized market, there is a lot of confusion. I don't want to say confusion, but there, there's sometimes some ambiguity between those three kind of different types of documents and really how to effectively use those. Um, a lot of times we've gone into to customers and you'll see, you know, they technically have a contract and really should be leveraging a, a blanket PO, but they, they've literally created just a purchase order in the um, ERP system, maybe with 
12 different lines and, and different release dates on there. So sometimes, you know, we're not always taking what's happening in the in the real world with the supplier relationship and, and the um, contractual agreements that have been entered um, with, with that supplier and translating that into the ERP system effectively, where, you know, really on that blanket PO, you want to be getting that blanket PO entered and you want to be actually releasing that, you know, to the um, supplier in, in specific increments. And, you know, I, from the injection molding standpoint, I don't necessarily have anything specific to um, in, injection molding, but um, we, we do work um, with some plastic manufacturers as well. Um, and they do leverage the, the blankets a lot as far as, you know, they're in contracts with their large suppliers sometimes for a year, sometimes three years even, and will, you know, have that one base PO number with sometimes up to 40 or 50 different releases against that one particular purchase order over a agreed upon um, time frame. So not exactly injection molding, but kind of in that, that plastic space. And, and we've leveraged it a lot too, um, kind of in the tier two automotive space as well. So, you know, that kind of secondary supplier. Again, we've seen it used a lot in industries where, you know, entering those contracts is beneficial both for you and the supplier, um, not just from a cost perspective, but from a planning perspective as well as you're gearing up for, for your manufacturing and, and knowing that you're going to have consistent supply coming in and managing um, that raw material supply to line up with, with your master production schedule. I'm sure, you know, the others will have a lot to, to add to that, but, you know, it, it's something not everyone's using effectively, and it's an opportunity to to really um, you know leverage the systems you have more um, in a more impactful way. Yeah, amazing, and I think I am going to touch on the comment uh, you know from Sneha, and, and I completely agree with her that you know in some of the system implementing a blanket order is not really straightforward. So I don't know, Dave, if you are going to have any sort of stories there. I have some stories, some really crazy <laughs> stories. Uh, you know, about this system that I have seen, they were really old. I don't know if blanket orders really existed in, in 1960. Maybe we'll have a history lesson from Brent. Um, get, get you some history on that for sure. Yeah, and I, I will say over the years, I've had the opportunity to work with some different ERP systems. And this is one area with the blankets that, at least from my experience, you know, a lot of times in finance, a debit's a debit's, credit's credit, things are very consistent. But man, it's all over the place with the implementation of, of how to manage um, blankets. And it varies dramatically by ERP system. And it, it can be a challenge and it isn't always a very straightforward thing. I've seen some where it is a kind of cumbersome process just to, to manage those and you run this whole separate utility to release them and, and do all of that. So it does, you know, depending on the system you're using, some of them don't really do it and you kind of have to band-aid your way and, and hack your way into getting the system together. And then some of the ones that do, it can still be a little bit of um, overhead to, to manage that. So it's another area where, you know, having somebody to come in and kind of help you get that aligned is, um, is, is very impactful. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. And by the way, Sneha, since you are in the audience, uh, you know, make sure you are sharing your stories. I'm going to make sure that I am going to be sharing my story. And then we have a lot of other folks in the audience. They are going to be sharing their story. I'm pretty sure Chris is going to have a million uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on that note, I'm actually going to move to Brent. Uh, and Brent is going to provide a very different perspective. And he is going to tell us more from the business perspective. First of all, do you really need the blanket order? And is that the right thing to do for the business or not? So, Brent, do you want to touch in terms of what your perspective is uh, overall from the blanket order perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Sam. Uh, so I'll, let's start with uh, I'll, the thesis. I'm not a real big fan of, uh, of blanket POs. To me, the blanket PO is a symptom that your system isn't set up very well. And that's kind of the way I look at it. If a PO is easy to write, it, it's there's not a lot of difference between writing one PO and writing 12 or 13 or 14 PO. Um, if your contracting processes in your, in your organization are, you know, appropriate, you can write a one page or a two page or a three page contract. Uh, you don't need to write a 50 page contract every point, every, at every point in time. And so if you have those two things right, you can, you don't need a blanket. The challenge with a blanket is kind of what's the purpose of a PO. So a PO for a company is a control document. 
It enables you to control what's coming into the organization and it enables finance to predict and forecast future cash flows or, or required future cash flow. And so if you have a purchase order that has an open amount of variability being delivered over, let's call it a 12 month period of time, you don't have a lot of control. Suppliers can over deliver early. You don't understand where your financials are going to be. You don't understand if you're running ahead or behind of your need because fundamentally you put it in place because it's too difficult to put enough POs in place. It's too difficult to change POs. And so I'm going to tell you that generally once you put that in place, you, you, you start to lose control um, or your level of control goes down. Often it's being used not because of purchasing, but because AP wants some sort of document. And, you know, to your point, Sam, kind of stories I've seen, people put a contract in place and then they put a blanket in place and then they don't put a volume against the blanket and send that document to the supplier. And you sit there and you go kind of, what's the purpose? And then you get a conflict between what are the terms of your blanket and what are the terms of your contract? Generally, with a contract, you're probably going to have things like termination for convenience and nice little things like that. You're not going to find those co terms customly in uh, a blanket PO. They're going to be standardized across the organization. And in fact, your blanket could end up in conflict with your contract if you've written uh, a contract and you're using the blanket as an AP management tool. From a supplier side, a blanket is wonderful if it's got a quantity because it's giving you lots of volume. It's giving you lots of commitment. Now, if it doesn't have volume against it, the blanket's a useless document. You can't take it to your bank. You have no guarantees. Do you really want to plan against it? So, you know, suppliers want POs with quantities and commitments, um, and that's what they need to operate. The blankets don't give you the control internally that you really need from a purchase order. Okay, so very interesting perspective there. And I am going to offer some of the examples that I have seen during the, the comments, you know, when I was putting together the show, some people commented, uh, especially with the supply chain situation at this point of time, uh, you know, their life is sort of saved because of the, the blanket order, right? So number one thing is they are able to secure the volume and you are right that you know if you don't have the volume printed on your blanket order then what's the point of a blanket order so ideally you want to have that so so brent uh, i want you to clarify your position a little bit so are you completely against blanket order or would you like to see the volume and the price as part of blanket order so that let's say if you have situations such as as of today where we are going to have the supply chain disruptions so you can be assured that you know you are going to have some vendor uh, they are still going to back out but you know at least you have some reliability and the guarantee number one the volume and number two pricing so what's your position so yeah. you know if, if you agree that a purchase order is a contract if you agree a verbal conversation is a contract if an email is a contract if it's really about volume guarantee and price guarantee you can do it very easily with an email with a conversation now a short order form contract gives you power to put other terms in place like termination liabilities other things you you may want and that's just much more powerful than a blanket um, in terms of guaranteeing you volume and and deliveries look if your system's set up right you can write 10 or 12 po's over a period of time and then adjust them as necessary that can work just as well if that's all you're trying to do, but that's not going to give you organizational control. You're going to know when those goods arrive every single month and you can cancel the residuals on those POs and really better manage your understanding of your financial cash position as an organization. So I just, I don't see the value of a blanket if your system's set up right. But if your system isn't set up right, is the right solution to band-aid it or fix it? Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those insights. Uh, so, Michelle, I'm actually going to come to you and I'm going to ask your position overall in terms of the blanket order. So, from my perspective, when I look at the blanket order, so, I mean, when you are signing any sort of purchase order, there's going to be a sales order for the other party. And typically, the way they are going to work is, okay, if I have blanket order, then I have some assurance from the customer that, that how much inventory I'm going to be keeping. So, let's say if I am working with 10 different customers, I know that two are probably going to back out, but I can at least rely on eight 
that they are probably going to be ordering whatever they had mentioned in the in the blanket PO. In, in my mind, that's the purpose of the blanket or, order, right? If you do this in the form of a PO, the other party does not have any sort of liability. And how are they going to produce the inventory? There's no way for them to forecast. So what is your position overall in terms of the application of blanket order? So I think there's definitely some pros and cons to the blanket orders. Um, I totally agree with um, what you just said, Sam. And then, Dave, I think you had a lot of great points as well, too. So to me, I think it depends on the specific item you're ordering. Um, I like blanket POs for low risk items specifically. Um, you can also use them for maintenance MRO type orders as well. And then um, Sam, like you're saying for the inventory as well, I think if it's, you know, I, I, I do think you have to do your upfront work though and make sure, okay, is this something that we can forecast? Um, do we have a good relationship with the supplier? I think that's huge. Are we going to use this supplier, you know, for a, a, you know, a time period? So making sure there's no issues with the supplier, no quality issues with the product before you um, do a blanket PO. Um, so I think all those items are important. You also have to understand based on what you're buying, is it a commodity or something where the price is going to fluctuate. So have you agreed to a price for your blanket and then, you know, you could have gotten it, um, you know, less expensive. But I think to, um, you know, what was um, mentioned by Brent um, as far as, you know, I think you need the quantity. I think you need the exact dollar amount because, you know, I remember um, back when I was doing one of my first um, ERP implementations just on the procure to pay side. I actually found a blanket PO that was in place, I mean, for years, years and years, um, the same blanket PO. So I, I think there's things that you have to be careful of. You know, you really have to monitor the blanket POs um, to make sure there's no leakage. I also saw blanket POs where people were kind of taking wild guesses and putting in a total amount. And um, well, you know, at least we won't have to adjust the PO. You know, hopefully they'll just come in under. So, you know, you really have to be careful when you're doing um, blanket POs. But I do think if you have the right policy process, it should be done for these types of items, um, you know, possibly even this level of risk, um, this dollar amount. And then you have a way um, to monitor it as well, because, you know, when we first kicked off, we were talking about the system. You know, you have to have a good system in place to track all these, too, um, and, and even kind of begin with the end in mind, too. Um, how are they going to be managed? How are they going to be monitored? What's going to happen at year end? Are you going to have to go through this huge exercise where you're closing all these blankets manually? Now, your system could do that for you. I, you know, so think through a lot of that stuff, um, and it's going to require a lot of customization. <laughs> so. Yeah, so true. Completely agree with your insight. So I am going to touch on one of the comments that you made in, in my mind when I look at the blanket orders. Uh, typically, in my mind, it's always going to be with the high risk. Okay, I have seen this in industries such as, for example, if you go to steel, okay, the price fluctuates a lot. And they typically not only create the blanket order, yeah. they are literally going to store the inventory. Okay, so that's how crazy steel industry is. In the uh, other industries where you are not going to find the items very easily, then obviously they have to have some sort of contract in place in fabric and rug. Uh, that's very, very, very common. So now from your perspective, you mentioned that, you know, you definitely want to have for low risk and MRO. In my mind, when I think about this, in case of low risk item, you can get them anyways. So why are you doing and MRO items are going to be similar as well, because they are going to be low risk, right? It's, you know, and again, for me, this is an industry specific, you know, you look at, um, you know, all of your reoccurring buys with the same supplier for, you know, in my experience, we had tons of reoccurring buys, um, low level, um, low dollar amount, low risk. So we put those on blankets. But again, it depends on your industry. If you have something that, you know, your example with steel is perfect, um, that might be something you'd want to put on a blanket PO if you could um, lock in to a price. Now, a lot of the things that I've been sourcing recently, and this was before the chip shortage, 
Now, the prices always typically come down. So I was always, you know, really careful there. Um, but again, like you're saying, yeah, you want to lock in so you can get that price. So they'll keep that inventory on site for you. Um, you know, the only thing, too, I worry about with a blanket PO is typically, um, and again, it would depend on the supplier and your relationship, but you don't always have the ability to cancel a blanket PO. So, yeah, and I can see some merits about, uh, you know, what you mentioned about the low risk and the, the MRO items. And the reason why uh, companies might do that is to reduce the admin effort. Yeah, convenience, reduce exactly. the admin, and then sourcing focuses on the more strategic. So, and again, it depends on the industry. Yeah. Completely agree. Thank you so much, Michelle, uh, for those. And Chris, I am going to come to you. So obviously you have seen a lot in terms of the contract, PO, uh, and the uh, blanket orders. And if you have seen any combination of those, because yes. in my mind, I think there will be some combinations as well, because Brent is right that if you simply have a blanket purchase order, that's not a real contract. So I don't know if you have seen companies doing both. I've you seen them all. Contract. I've seen them all, Sam. You know, and the magic word for the plastics guy is injection molding and silos. So as you think about, and you know, you guys are dancing all around it. it is by industry. So I've touched on a number of different industries that all use blanket peels very efficiently and effectively, but it's not all industries. It's not all products that you're buying. I'll give you some examples here. So again, um, a few different ones. So for example, I deal with St. Louis Airport. So why would they use a blanket peel? Salt. We need 1 million tons of salt. And so to your point, this is a commodity that they, they reserve an allocation of inventory at a price for a million tons. Okay. And those guys can just drop off truck after truck and they continue to receive against the same peel varied quantities who cares the injection molding guy raw plastic the guy comes back he fills up a silo he's got a blanket po that he did a strike price for two hundred thousand pounds or two thousand tons or whatever of materials at a price and these guys can show up with a rig and they can unload and fill up all of his silos and that's it and they just receive whatever quantity shows up you got another guy's a chemical processor he buys polyurethane okay so same thing he has forecasts of what he needs and he allocates against the supplier's inventory and they just show up and deliver varied quantities as they refill his tanks. And so you see some different examples there, but it is specific. And again, to get a little deeper, um, food brokers. Okay. So as we think about the commodities industry and, um, you know, I'm in between the big behemoths and all the guys down here and you're thinking, okay, what's that relationship between what's the contract and what are the POs? And then again, they're releasing against these POs, but doing strike prices and they're allocating all of the inventory, actually in this context, in ag, all the production, they allocate it all across contracts. And then again, everybody's got their price, their quantities that they reserve and they're doing releases against that. Another great example is people will do a, a, a blanket PO to consume a budget, frankly. It's very interesting as opposed to, hey, I got 100,000. Well, if I just release them one at a time, I know I need to, they consume it. It's almost like allocating a budget. So there's a whole nother perspective besides allocating vendor inventory, right? And so they're allocating a budget and then they're doing releases against an allocation against the budget. So depending on the industry and uh, like I said, fertilizers, I had another one. I ran a, a prison system down in Georgia. Same thing. They're trying to buy and allocate chemicals and fertilizers for crops based on acres of land. So in those industries, it's the same thing. There's not, to the point, Brent, there's not, yeah, okay, 200,000 pounds. They show up and deliver. Hey, guess what? We're coming close. Guess what? Once they fulfill that 200,000 pounds, you bet the supplier says, I'm negotiating a new price now. So that's the benefit to the, you know, to the customer is they're locking price. They're getting an allocation of inventory. You know, worrying about the supplier being able to fulfill that, it's just a different model. But you get the replenishment. They're filling them up. They're varied amounts. These guys show up with the trucks, the tanks to refill these people, whether they're tanks or silos, bins, whatever it may be. But that's the perfect application. So that helps. Okay, amazing. And Chris, I am definitely going to ask you, you know, some things from the technical perspective as well that I sure. have seen. I'll tell you my story in terms of what I have seen. So obviously, a lot of you uh, have been using the term release. And I don't know if you have seen the release as a, a line item or the, the entity inside your ERP system where it is going to be a release. And I will tell you why they had done it, okay? So they didn't have the, the native blanket order functionality. So what they used to do is for the blanket order, they are going to create some sort of you know sales order uh, as the blanket order. And as soon as the release is going to come, they are actually going to cancel the line and then either going to create a new order or going to create a new line because, you know, if the system did not support the, the, uh, the blanket order functionality. So I don't know if you have seen similar. with yeah, The other implementation to your point is you can do a PO with 10 lines and 10 quantities and 10 delivery dates. And it's on the same time. The customer's buying from you. You got a sales order with 10 lines, the same product, 
different quantities, different delivery dates. That's how customers have fulfilled a blanket sales order where it's pre-composed of what the drop dates are. Same thing on the PO. It's pre-composed about what the dates are. It's a little different than, a, than the traditional use of a blanket. That's almost like a standard PO that's implemented to behave like a blanket with multiple releases, but it's really not the same concept. And again, I think in the blanket concept that I use, there's no release. You're not calling this guy and say, hey, my silo's empty. You expect him to be showing up refilling this thing before it gets empty to fulfill that uh, those quantities. Just a little different. But I get the manual manipulation. And again, out of the context I mentioned, I have not seen people use blanket POs for regular stock refills. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Uh, so, Abu, I'm actually going to come to you. And I don't know if you are in a position to touch on the, this comment. So I think Sneha is trying to say the blanket orders definitely contributed to my Pareto for E&O. Uh, do you have any commentary there by any chance, Abu? On this? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm just going to build on, you know, what Chris was saying is, you know, when everything's working good, you know, blanket orders work perfectly, right? But when there's an issue in the delivery, uh, you know, that's when it starts getting complicated, right? So if I have a salt, you know, I have to deliver it every month, every month, but in my system, I'm recording it against the same line, or there's no way for me to run a report afterwards if he's fulfilling his delivery time, right? Because the terms may be written separately in some other document. Or if there's a payment schedule, right? So when you have to reconcile payments, uh, and you have received against the old blanket order, but there's a new blanket order in the system, right? So those are the sort of issues that you run into when you're trying to reconcile the data. And as you know, Sneha is mentioning in her comments, you know, when you have to figure out delivery lead time, standard deviation, it's when the performance factor, measuring performance comes into play, that's when blanket orders become really hard to measure. So, I mean, just taking on the salt example, you know, if they're delivering salt for the runway every time perfectly, then it's fine. But if they miss it and the planes can't land, then how do you track performance, right? <laughs> so, so that's that's the issue, right? And that's where I have seen most of the issues come in is when you want to track supplier performance uh, for blank. Okay, amazing. Uh, sorry, Brent, do you have a comment? Yeah, so the funny thing is, as, as I've been listening to all of these, salt is the one I actually get the most because it is highly variable. It is. It doesn't talk to you about supplier performance or airport performance. It doesn't give you any measurement. I just need salt to always be there. And if I need a million tons or zero, I need it to be there. And I've got to have the risk. It is so fundamental to my operation. So it just has to come in and I have to spend the money. And I actually can get a blanket there. Everywhere else, I'm really struggling with um, with the with the blanket. So if you know, we speak to MROs. Um, at the end of the day, I want to cap my use of MROs. Uh, I, if, if we're going to spend 50% more than I planned this month, I want to know right away. I want my supplier calling me. Same thing if we talk about use of resin or plastic in a silo, the amount of plastic or resin I'm using in the silo should be in direct proportion to the amount of production I'm running in the facility. Uh, and if, if my facility use of plastic or resin is dramatically out of scale, I want to be triggered immediately by we've just run through our monthly purchase order quantity uh, and a supplier is calling me. I've got, it means I've got a leak. It means trucks didn't get delivered that I'm paying for. All of those things trigger actions that get hidden with a blanket. And, and so it, it is, you know, it is performance to me that's, that's driving it. But sorry, I'm just, I, I, I had to jump in on that because I get it completely with salt. That makes so much sense to me. But as soon as it's about the core of my business, I want the triggers that a real PO gives me. Yeah, completely agree, Brent. And by the way, since we are on uh, you right now, uh, Kim, do you want to touch on this comment from Sneha? I, I don't know if you have any insights there. Blanket orders definitely contributed to my Pareto for ENO. Brent. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? I'm not even sure I understand uh, Sneha's comment. And that's probably me, not Sneha. Okay, Michelle, uh, did you have any comments there from business perspective by any chance uh, on her comment? Um, I'd probably, I, I agree. I'd probably need a little bit more detail to, to understand as well. So, Sneha, maybe uh, you want to clarify your question a little bit more and then we can probably touch on that. Um, so I am actually going to move to Dave, and I don't know, Dave, if you're going to have any sort of comments here uh, on Chase's comment, and I completely agree with Chase. Um, you know, these are the situations where you are going to have the real of the blanket orders. I agree with Brent as well that, you know, blanket orders do hide a lot of things, uh, you know, that should be the business triggers that you should know. Uh, but in these situations, the blanket orders are going to be really helpful. So do you have any commentary there, Dave? 
Yeah, I think one theme that's kind of emerging from the discussion as a whole here is, you know, there, there's a technical side to, to managing blanket orders, and there, there's somewhat of a disconnect between that technical side and then the, the real life side of, of living this and what that means for your, you know, relationship and interaction and, and vendor management um, and reporting, you know, on, on the, the vendor management there. And I, I think kind of what, what Chase is maybe alluding here to is, you know, that once you enter into that blanket contract, there, there is very little transparency. Um, you know, you're, you're not, you don't have that same kind of PO by PO contractual um, piece um, that, that you would if you're kind of planning that out. So then it becomes very challenging to, to manage on-time delivery, um, to manage those sort of metrics that we're talking about. And, you know, to, to dovetail onto the SALT comment, the, the SALT one doesn't matter as much. I need it, you know, bring it in. Um, and it doesn't matter. Just keep it, keep it going. So it poses a lot of you know, kind of business and process and, and even legal challenges on that side, more so really than, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of the, the technical piece of it. Um, I, I will say in some of the industries we worked with, though, you're, you're almost kind of forced into a blanket. And in some regards, we, we work with one distributor that um, strip, distributes um, golf equipment, uh, as an example. So, so every year they have to issue a blanket, you know, to kind of the, the big um, manufacturers of, of the golf equipment there, because that's your only way to lock in and guarantee, you know, that you're going to to get that. And, and that kind of goes back to some of Chris's comments around the allocation of, of goods. And, you know, so there's a lot of challenges and moving parts and, you know, like mentioned, even even legality um, that, that goes into the whole process, really. Okay, could not agree more. Thank you so much, uh, Dave, for that. Uh, so Brent, I'm actually coming to you again. And uh, I think it's me has asking another question. And that is going to be around the consignment contract with suppliers. Uh, you know, that's, um, I, so I see it here a little bit. The problem is in a consignment contract, there's a whole bunch of liabilities, um, product lost, controls, all of that not covered in a blanket purchase order. Um, so I would, I would much rather have a contract that governs the relationship, talks about what happens with the consignment goods, who owns it, when does ownership transfer, how is price set, my ability to return goods, what happens if I terminate the contract and I've got consignment goods on hand? None of that stuff's going to be handled in, uh, in, in a blanket purchase order. So I, I don't know what the right answer is in terms of, you know, handling that. And I, I probably would want to think through all of the specific scenarios, but I'm, I'm, I'm back to, I need more than a blanket contract can offer me, uh, in, in, in terms of this. So. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Brent. Uh, Michelle, do you have any commentary there uh, on the consignment contract? Yeah, a, a quick item. So I actually did a consignment deal for one of our data centers. And um, now none of the other data centers had um, consignment parts. And I now I don't like um, doing things on consignment. Um, it was a bear. Um, I went, um, you know, all the pros and cons to leadership. To me, there's always more cons in this situation. So, um, you know, just like Brent was saying, um, lost items, all the controls, are people using the scanner like they're supposed to use to scan items in and out? Um, you know, we had a pretty robust um, contract around our consignment um, policy and process. And again, it, it, it was cables and different parts, patch cords for our data center. Um, so, you know, again, it was critical. Now the other data centers, what they did was a single PO. Um, they managed it. We need, um, you know, roughly, um, you know, this amount. Um, and again, I tended to um, my distributor though, I had a good relationship with them, though they still, I had unusual lengths of cable. So they still, they stacked it all for me, um, even though it was unusual lengths. Um, I didn't have to worry about anything unused. Um, the contract I negotiated, I had um, a really long lead time for unused items. Um, 
I had up to six months, which is really unusual. But um, thankfully, we had a good relationship and could negotiate that. But yeah, the consignment program never worked well. <laughs> so um, I can, Sneha, we'll, we'll touch base offline on consignment. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those uh, insights. And uh, Chris, I'm actually coming to you. And I don't know if you're in a position to touch Katie's uh, uh, comment here. Uh, I'll, I'll read it for you. So she's saying that, you know, we only accept blanket orders with specific planned delivery dates and a schedule complete with pricing. We'll allow some adjustment to the dates if necessary. It does allow us to purchase from our suppliers taking advantage of volume prices based on those blankets. Agree? Disagree? Uh, no, I mean, that's that? one facet. And, and again, even the guys that are getting their silos refilled, I'm sure they've got certain periods in the month that they're expected to be showing up. I don't think it's that random. I think there's some predictability in what dates they're coming to refill those tanks based on the company's, the plant's consumption expectations. So they can't show up the tanks are full. But in terms of the plan dates and so forth, like I said, even in that context, I'm sure there's an underlying delivery schedule that embodies. Because if I've got 200 tons over 12 months, is it going to be equal drops? Again, that's something that would probably be crafted. So I think there would be visibility of what those delivery dates are. And remember, the salt thing, guys, they're not bringing it as they need it. They got a big pile. And when the cow gets little, they make the pile big again. That's the whole idea. Just, you know, a million tons is a lot of salt. So it's not like they need, they call to get salt when they need it. It's all there. I think that's the same thing for the chemicals. Um, on the consignment con component, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen it where the consignment inventory is now in the other people's ERP system versus it's allocated reserved inventory in the supplier's warehouse. So there's a couple different scenarios. The one where you've already receded the product, that gets a little more complex because you're like, oh, I got to put it in my system. Do I put it in at zero cost? Well, that screws up my costing and margins. Do I put it in cost, different balance sheet accounts, and then I have to keep track and then I have to tell the vendor and he invoices me or I auto create an AP. So there's different models behind that consigned when I've already received it and put it into my system because you know, it lands on the balance sheet, needs to be insured. And again, how do you trigger that? What did I use? What am I paying for? So I've seen that work. It's just a different implementation approach with uh, with some different warehouses and so forth. But uh, that can be effective too. But again, you own the inventory, whether it's in his building. Uh, and again, the one where they ship it to you and you don't own it yet. Well, that's kind of nice too, but um, different examples. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Abu, uh, do you have any comment on, on this comment or uh, the consignment? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, consignments are very hard to manage, right? I mean, there's so many different scenarios. Sometimes if you don't own the inventory, you only pay for it when you use it, right? So uh, similarly on the sales side, you know, if you're a retailer, you know, you have the inventory, but you don't really own it, right? So you only, your supplier only invoices you when you actually sell it. Uh, I mean, people use, I mean, what I think people like to use blanket order this to minimize paperwork, right? If you have to issue a blanket PO every month, it's just 12 POs. And if you have, issue a blanket PO for 100 products, that's, you know, the volume certainly goes high, right? And the time it takes sometimes to create a PO within the organization, issue it to someone else, uh, for the other organization to accept it, you know, it becomes difficult to manage. So at the end of the day, you know, most people would use blanket POs as a way of minimizing paperwork. And, you know, as soon as there's a performance issue, you know, that's when it becomes really hard and terrible, right? It you know, if everything's working like a clockwork, there are no issues, blanket orders work perfectly. As soon as you reconcile data, you have to reconcile contractual obligations, uh, you know, it starts becoming. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those comments. And then uh, Sneha is agreeing with me, with my comments, I guess. Uh, and then finally, uh, we have some more comments from Sneha. Uh, so Dave, uh, you know, I don't know if you are able to cover this. I'll read it to you. So Sneha is saying we need to know our spend and supplier base, our demand. Uh, standard deviation of demand during lead time, lead time factor, and many more factors, and then decide what the inventory replenishment model should be. Um, do you agree, disagree, any commentary? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of speak to that a, a little bit in the sense that it's it's kind of getting in factors that, you know, I don't know that, that blanket POs are entering, entering into those sort of contracts really solve for those per se. You know, those sort of needs around, you know, understanding the demand, deviation of that, what your lead times are, um, kind of all of those additional factors as well, really kind of starting to broach into the subject of like materials planning and, and understanding vendor performance and, and all of that. And, and you know, I think the, the whole concept of the blanket PO can kind of tie into that overall plan when you're looking at, at what your material plan should be and, and who you should buy from and, you know, what your approved vendors are and what that looks like. Um, but really a lot of those complexities are coming down to, you know, 
vendor performance, delivery, um, you know, quality performance. So as you're going through inspection and, you know, what sort of defects and things like that you're having. Um, and, you know, ultimately all of that could eventually feed into, you know, kind of a, a contract. And um, I, I guess, too, whether or not we should pay for, um, you know, that contract, depending on how good or bad um, the, the vendor is doing. So really, it's like a lot of things where, you know, as you really start peeling the onion back, so to speak. Um, in this case, the, the blanket PO is a, a portion of that, but really getting into what your overall procurement plan as an organization um, kind of starts to look like, to be honest. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So Brent, I'm actually coming to you and we have some more intel here in terms of how companies are handling the PO. So I don't know if you agree with this. So we have Stephanie in the room and, and she's saying that we are like at these companies uh, where we do blanket POs only with the delivery schedules. And uh, this was Kathy's comment before, we only accept blanket orders with these specific plan delivery dates and us can uh, complete with pricing. So, so I'll, uh, I'll come back to probably the first thing I said, that the use of blanket POs is a symptom that your system isn't set up right and that it's too hard to write a PO. If I know when I have all of my delivery dates and I know all of my prices, why am I writing a blanket PO where I lose all of my controls because it's easier to write one PO rather than write 12 POs or, or whatever that is? It, it's, it's come back to get your system set up right so it's not difficult to manage a large number of POs and it's not difficult to, to change a large number of POs. Kathy does have one comment in there that, that did get me thinking. And if you are a, a small purchaser, and you don't have leverage over your supplier and your supplier has said, hey, if you put $100,000 on one purchase order, I'll give you a two or three percent rebate on that. And splitting it out over 12 delivery dates on one purchase order and that gets you that rebate, I can understand doing that. Now, if you're a midsize or a larger company, you should have the leverage to say, look, I'm giving you this volume over the year you give me that discount on every purchase order and I'm going to write you 12 purchase orders instead of one. But I can see it in this one circumstance um, that, that if you really don't have the power to negotiate. The hard thing now is though managing your organization. Is that, are you allowing yourself to default to that because it's less work for your team to negotiate the right amount of controls? Or is it really you don't have the power with your suppliers and, and I think that that is now, uh, you know, that, that's a that's a management of your people issue, which is a whole other conversation. OK, amazing. Thank you so much, Brent, for that. So, Michelle, I'm actually coming to you. And uh, I think Sneha is clarifying her comment. So I don't know if you are going to have any comment there. I am going to read it for you. So Sneha is saying that was my comment. If blankets are too long, say 1.5 years, there's a chance that you up buying inventory you don't need, which eventually ends up in excess and obsolete. I think that's what ENO. Uh, oh, okay. Really helpful. So no, Sneha, I think that's a great point. That's actually one of the items that, you know, I had written down even in my notes here is to just be really careful as far as um, forecasting and, you know, you still have to have a really good um, contract, you know, so your blanket doesn't um, replace a, a, a master agreement. So again, you should um, determine up front what, what happens in an instance like that. Um, you know, so those are some of the things that should be um, in your contract, um, quite frankly. Um, and then, and then it depends, because like I said, I've seen um blanket POs where they're always limited to calendar year but then like I gave the example earlier I saw um one where it was long and um I, I believe it was close to five years which is crazy um I was shocked when I saw that and um you know um you know so clearly stuff wasn't being managed um you know because again you know like we're all saying you know you you have to have the system set up right too but then it has to you know there has to be some other management and um you know the transparency isn't always there and and again that's why I started off with um you know the low risk items because we don't like the fact that we don't have the transparency we don't want people to think that oh 
I've got this open checkbook now, you know, to, to spend all this. Um, you know, I'm from a company that grew by acquisition, strategies always changing, um, things are, are always in flux. So again, the performance factor, the lack of transparency, I think Chase um, mentioned the transparency issue too. And just, you really have to manage the heck out of it. And, um, you know, there could be issues too where, what if there is an issue with the product? You know, I think your um, contract would also need to take that into account. Do I need to negotiate pricing for a like a, or alternative product if there is um, an issue? So, um, you know, a lot of different ways to do this. <laughs> so. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those insights, uh, Michelle. So, Chris, I'm actually coming to you, and I don't know if you want to cover this uh, comment or the question. And after that, we are going to open up the floor, and yeah. then anybody can take the comment. Couple, um, couple things is we go back to the silos and the tanks. The good thing about that is they just can't take any more inventory if they're not if they're full. So that whole premise is I always want my tank full. So you know what? It's not like, and I would agree that in the model where you've got a blanket peel and the stuff is going on your warehouse floor, somebody needs to be checking about are we using it. Because the tanks and the chemicals, that's it. It's full. It's full. The guy goes back. He didn't empty his load. So it's a whole different model there. So just understand that. But, uh, yeah, there's some there's some complexities there that still need to be managed because, uh, you know, and there's the brokers, the food brokers. The other comment I'll make there is those contracts, you bought it. This isn't, oh, I got a contract for 200000 I don't have to take that delivery. They expect you to take all that grain, frankly. So in that context, you actually bought the 200000 and then you're doing releases against that in a different manner as you need it for your production. But again, if you bought 200,000 pounds on the contract, you bought it. A little different model than the chemical where I've got a 12-month contract at a set price. And well, hell, you just didn't use all that consumption, so your tanks didn't get filled as much. And in the end, you didn't really fill that entire blanket peel. So again, by case, I think you're going to see different things. And and I agree on if your ERP is tuned up for other products to generate POs based on min-max replenishment or you know on-demand type of manufacturing with lead times, there's a lot more control there. That's for darn sure because you're driving those consumptions based on the or purchases based on usage. And again, you may be doing it a blanket that just gives you a locked price, but uh, there's a little more control in that. And having people just dropping stuff at your warehouse every week that, hey, where do we put this? <laughs> Wait, stop, right? So, okay, amazing. So, anybody can take this one. Uh, it says, as a custom injection uh, molder, we handle some customers different than other when it comes to blanket orders. Do you guys agree, disagree? Anybody can take. Okay, Dave, go ahead. I'll, I'll kind of jump in a little bit on that one. And I mean, it, it fits into the theme here that everything is a, a case by case, you know, type of basis. And depending on what that relationship with customers to, you know, the, the plastic manufacturer we, we work with, they, they do a lot of molding. Um, so a little different than, you know, injection molding, a lot of CNC type of, of work. But yeah, you know, they'll accept blanket orders from their very large customers. And going back to the earlier point of like who has the power in the relationship, you know, they'll take those blanket orders. Um, you know, they'll set the schedules on that. But guess what? You know, those giant customers, they all of a sudden drop an order in and say, hey, okay, well, I need this by the end of the week. You, This isn't part of the blanket. So you're making those adjustments. So a lot of that too, um, at least in the industries we work with, you know, as far as how you handle those customers that are issuing those blankets to you has a lot to do with, you know, the volume they're doing, um, you know, what type of revenue you're actually getting from them um, and what the volatility looks like. So I, I think that's a pretty common thing across, you know, different industries that it, it all comes down to kind of who has the, the power in relationship and, and, you know, what, what kind of end of the day, what dollars you're making off of that. I, okay, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, so so back to the injection molding. So here in town in St. Louis, I've got a couple of, they blow pharmaceutical bottles. So it is, it's the two-way. Their customer's got a blanket, they've got a blanket with their supplier, like keep my plastic tanks full, and the guys on the other make as many pharmaceutical bottles as you can. So there is a couple of complete flow, and a lot of them really are like just as much as you can make. And so a little different by industry, I think that's what I was also seeing, so. Okay, uh, anybody uh, on this one, it says my question is really on the consignment contract orders, if anyone on the panel has used that model, anyone. Okay, Michelle, go. So when we had this type of um, program in place, it was the um, type of model where they delivered everything and we didn't own it until we used it. Um, so that was the model that uh, that we used. And then I can um, get into more detail offline as well. Okay. When, when I've had that model and something similar to that, really what I've done or is they invoice me at the end of the month and we create a purchase order that matches what the invoice is. Um, That's what you know, we <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, 
Yeah. You know, you, you've got to look at it. Is that best practices? Hell no, that's not best practices either. But is is leaving them an open purchase order for a very large sum of money representing multiple months of the same thing happening a better process? What's the best? What's the least risk? Yeah, uh, cool. and and I'll say may, maybe it's important too, and kind of looking at Kathy's um, comment here around um, some of some of their customers share their inventory and their manufacturer to fill those low items. There there's some parallels, but also probably some distinction that should be made between you know true kind of blanket purchase contract versus vendor managed inventory, and and you know those kind of again contractually and and from a service standpoint how those two things um, you know maybe intersect, but then are also a little different as well, and that's probably a whole other conversation um to to get into but you know again that's where complexities fall all right amazing guys so the only thing we can take right now is going to be closing advice uh abu what would be your closing advice please um for me i think in my opinion you know when deciding to use it you have to factor in the marginal benefit of using a, a blanket order versus using a purchase contract and having a more controlled process by issuing delivery requests or purchase requests so Depending on the product, depending on the dollar value, and depending on the importance of that product uh, to your overall business strategy, that's how you should make the decision. There's no real right or wrong answer. So depending on those factors, it's a business decision that has to be okay, amazing. Thank you much for that. Dave, what would be your closing? I'll just say through the course of the last hour, Brent has convinced me to never suggest using a um, blank and order ever again. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, it, it, you know, it is something that it's about what your business needs, um, you know, how to align that with the ERP system. Um, and, and this is really one of those categories where it is much more about the vendor relationship um, and contract management more so than the, the technical um, nuts and bolts of it. So, so it, it's going to be different for everyone. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that. And Brand actually came with a very focused purpose here in recruiting somebody, and he has already recruited Dave. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> okay, Brand, closing advice, please. <laughs> Look, I, I think we all agree on the panel that using blankets compromises control and risk. Um, fundamentally, that's what's happening. There are some circumstances where it does make sense, but if you're configuring a system from the beginning, you should be trying to figure out how to get rid of as much of the administrative work as you can to optimize your controls. And if there is a little bit left over that you need to do it on blanket, really understand what you're setting yourself up for for the long term. Completely agree. Thank you for that. Uh, Michelle, what would be your closing? Um, I second everything that's been said here. Great advice. And one thing you can do too, just really understand the item that you may want, the item or the service that you may want to get the blanket PO for. And we've talked a lot about systems and, and management and transparency and the vendor performance. You know, um, with our systems, we have a test system or a sandbox. Take it through that and see how it's really going to work. Um, go through the whole process and um, even have the, the business um, potentially involved to get an understanding. Is this going to be a mess? Does it make sense? How are we going to really manage this in real life? Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Michelle, for that. Uh, Chris, what would be your closing advice, please? Just like everybody said, do your analysis and find that right opportunity where it gives you the advantage and the control and the transparency. And again, the rest of it, just make sure you've configured your replenishment methods correctly so you don't have to use that if it's not appropriate. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, guys. So that's it for today. If you join for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. We always have a very exciting panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another topic. On that note, thanks everyone for your insights and time tonight. Have a great day. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everybody. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's T-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about David Dozer, head over to blazeitweb.com. It's B-L-A-Z-E-I-T-W-E-B.com. If you want to learn more about Abu Asif, head over to Penny management.com. It's P-A-N-N-I-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T.com. If you want to learn more about Brent Paracopi, follow and connect with him on LinkedIn. If you want to learn more about Michelle Thompson, 
follow and connect with her on LinkedIn. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Pete Brett, who shares his insights into inventory access and obsolescence. Also, the interview with Colby Young, who shares his insights on the nuances of PO life cycle and why it is critical for seasonal businesses such as cosmetics. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.